This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast designed to help equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and be confident in their faith. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Christ, Culture, and Coffee. Today, I'm your host, Robbie Lashua, and I'm here with my co-host, Tyler Hurley. Tyler, how are you? I'm doing great, Robbie. It's good to be back. Yeah, it's great. In person. It's great being in person. I like, I prefer face-to-face contact over virtual or... Face-to-face contact is like where you slap your heads together? Yeah, just... <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, yeah we're not going to do that. It's way better than doing it over Skype or Zoom or anything yes. like that. Yeah, so. it's great. Glad um, to be back back with you, man. It's it's uh, it's good. Yeah, yeah. And I've been enjoying this series a lot. Yeah, we've been talking about biblical accuracy and yeah. how we can trust and rely on the New Testament text. And there's tons of evidence that we've gone over the past few weeks. Mm-hmm. And so this week, we're going to be touching on some objections to that. Yes. Uh, but before we get into that content, we're, this is Christ Culture and Coffee, and we always, always talk about coffee when we start. Yes, we love coffee. And so this coffee tip, Tyler, you're going to give the coffee tip, but this is a pretty cool one for today because it, it fits with the whole COVID-19 theme of what's been going on this year. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So during the COVID-19 pandemic of 2020... When was that again? Of 2020. Oh, that's right now. That's right. Yeah. Oh, crazy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, it's funny. I'm talking about this like it's in the past. I'm like, during it's, this... We're living frame, history. Yeah, it's yeah, historic. Yeah, yeah this anyway. is going to be great. So a German company, and then I believe this is pronounced... Melita, mm-hmm. redirected its efforts from making coffee filters into making medical masks. And now uh, what's, cool. yeah, what's interesting about that, the, the company invented these filters in 1908 mm. by a Dresden housewife named Melita, mm-hmm. uh, Melita Bentz, and realized that the filters were the perfect shape to fit over a person's mouth and their nose, and chin. That and makes so, sense, because they're probably like those cone-shaped yeah, filters or something. Yeah, 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 something like that. And so all they had to do do was replace the filter paper with a special, like, melt-blown fiber that's normally used in vacuum bags. Oh, I know that. Like, yeah, vacuum cleaner bag. Yeah, that like, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they attach, like, an elastic material on it, which... <laughs> That created masks out of it. So the systems that they already had in place allowed them to manufacture a million masks per day out of these coffee filters. That's awesome. Yeah, and this provided actually a huge boost to Europe's mask supply when they were able to do this. That's awesome. Now, yeah, the question great. I have is, where were the American coffee companies helping us out with masks when we were running out? That's the real question, uh, Yeah, right? that's, that's interesting. Come on, people. <laughs> Let's pull it together. Let's get some coffee masks going. That'd yeah, that's... I mean, it's an interesting story, though. I it never, is interesting. Yeah, I never what imagined if, that that would work. Okay, now, could they have made them also scented? Oh, I'm sure they could This could've. is mocha scented. This is a latte. This oh, that is a dark great. roast scent. That would They were awesome, probably yeah. focused on, let's just get these out. Yeah. I'm like, I'm sure, yeah. yeah. Now, if someone got COVID and they couldn't smell anyway, <laughs> and it wouldn't matter what the flavor <laughs> No, it anyway, wouldn't. Yeah, okay, we're getting off track. That is cool, though. Yeah, well, I'm glad these that they are, did that. Yeah. This is great, too, because these aren't just like a, like the regular cloths that people are wearing right now, like when yeah. since we're low on masks, but these are like filtered. So yeah. people could be in environments that had COVID and be protected yeah. off of these coffee filter mask. Like, that's really that's cool, great. man. Yeah, that's yeah. cool that they did that. I like that a lot. So, all right, well, let's move into the content yeah, for today. So the big question for today's episode is, has God preserved his word so that we can know what he says? Right. Now, we've been talking a lot about, is the New Testament reliable? How do we know that we have eyewitness testimony in it? How do we know what the, the variants are and the problems are and what verses should be in the Bible, shouldn't be in the Bible, all this yes. stuff? 
But it's all kind of been leading up to this argument. Like, can we be sure that what we have in our Bibles is what God spoke through prophets and through apostles? Uh, because that's a big deal. Or do we have a mismatch of a whole bunch of mistakes and problems and we can't know what God wanted to communicate or even if he wanted to communicate? Right. Um, so there's a common objection, a common um, uh, myth or argument out there that's directed at Christians, and it's really interesting because it comes from atheists, Mormons, and Muslims. They all three make this same claim. So if if three big worldview groups are making a claim about yes. your scriptures, you probably should know how to answer it. Yeah, we need to dissect what's out there. Yes, we, we need do. Because these these were like religious groups, well, minus atheism, I guess, but you It's know. a little religious group. And, is, and the yeah. atheists are going to blow up my feed for saying that, yeah, but they're not, they're not a neutral belief. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the point. But I'm saying like, uh, like these three groups are like, they're making objective claims mm-hmm. about Christianity and the text. And so we need to address that. We need yeah. to. And so here is the claim about the Bible's accuracy and the preservation of God's word. So this is what Muslims, atheists, and Mormons will say. They'll basically say, after the time of the apostles, the scriptures were corrupted and changed, and you cannot know what was originally said. Hmm. That's the idea. So it's untrustworthy. We cannot trust it, right? So um, we're going to talk about the atheist objection, the Mormon objection, and the Muslim objection specifically, and then we're going to get into how we can show that this actually uh, isn't true, and we can actually use evidence to show that this isn't a problem for us. Yeah, it sounds good. So for atheists, so Bill Nye, who many of you will remember from that show, Bill Nye the Science Guy, when you were a kid, he wears sweet bow tie, do cool <laughs> science projects. Um, Bill Nye, in a debate he had a few years ago, uh, and also Bart Ehrman, who is an agnostic-leaning atheist um, who wrote many books, uh, in his book Jesus Interrupted, both Bill Nye and both Bart Ehrman, they, they push this idea that the New Testament uh, transmission of what was written is much like the game telephone that little kids will play. And I've heard atheists use this analogy all yeah, the I've, time. Yeah, I've heard that a lot myself, just from people in person. It's very, it's used, a very yeah. common objection to the legitimacy of the Bible. And here's how it goes. They will say that, you know how when you play telephone when you're a kid, ki- children will sit in a circle and one of them will come up with a word or a phrase and then they'll whisper it in their friend's ear. Mm-hmm. And then that friend is supposed to transmit the message he heard to the next kid and whisper it in his ear. And then so on and so on and so on. But the fun of the game is you get to the last kid and they say what they heard and everyone usually laughs because it got messed up. Yeah, we demonstrate this for you, but it doesn't really work out between two people. No, you so need more than two people. Yeah, yeah it's not very good. <laughs> but it's a fun game because yeah, the whole the whole idea is let's see how this message or word or phrase gets messed up yeah. by the time it gets transmitted through all of our ears and through all of our brains and, you know, the one punk kid who changes it on purpose and all that, <laughs> that kind of stuff. So the atheists will say, see, that's how the New Testament is. It's like the game of telephone. It got somebody told somebody, somebody told somebody, it got passed on to this person, it got translated into this language, then it got translated into this language, and we can't trust the message we have today because it has passed through so many different transmissions mm-hmm. and translations that you can't possibly think you have the original message. 
Yeah, that's what so they say. So therefore, what you have in the Bible has been changed, and you can't even begin to figure out what the original had said. So that's how atheists usually bring up this charge against Christians. Yeah, and it makes sense. Uh, I mean, like I hear that a lot, so it makes yeah. sense that this is a driving argument. But then what's crazy is, as we said, even Mormons kind of make their own version of this argument. They say, they do. yeah, they say that the word of God was actually not translated correctly. And yep. specifically, uh, we have it in a passage. I'm trying to get that here. Yeah, First Nephi 13, 26 through 28. Uh, it says, And after they go forth by the hand of the twelve apostles of the Lamb from the Jews unto the Gentiles, thou seest the formation of that great and abominable church, which is the most abominable above all ch other churches, for behold, they have taken away from the gospel of the Lamb many parts which are plain and most precious, and also many covenants of the Lord have they taken away. And all this have they done that they might pervert the right ways of the Lord, that they might blind the eyes and harden the hearts of the children of men. Wherefore, thou seest that after the book hath gone forth through the hands of the great and abominable church, that there are many plain and precious things taken away from the book, which is the book of the Lamb of God. Yep. Yeah, and so what's crazy is LDS prophets will claim that the Bible has been corrupted in two ways. There's two ways that they make this claim. Uh, one is that they say that it's been translated so many times that it's untrustworthy, which mm -hmm. is exactly what the atheists were saying. Yeah, similar argument. Yeah, yeah, similar argument. And then the, uh, the second is that they state that the many plain and precious truths, as quoted from the passage before, uh, were lost or corrupted after the death of the apostles, and they were restored with Joseph Smith. Yeah, that's yeah. a big claim of, and even in Mormon theology, they call it, you know, the great apostasy. They do. That the yeah. church fell away, and for, you know, what would be like 1,700 years, yes. there was no true church on earth until Joseph Smith restored it. Yeah, in fact, that's even in the introduction of the Book of Mormon. It talks yep. about how they believe that that's what Joseph Smith did with the Book of Mormon, is that it's the restored scripture, because they yeah. don't believe that the Bible has all those plain and precious truths. Yeah, and that's a that's a really key phrase. Like yeah. a lot of times you'll talk to people and they'll say, well, listen, many plain and precious portions were left out. That's that, yeah. Or they'll say, we only believe in the Bible as it's been correctly translated, right? Yeah, and so even even in the Mormon um, you know, when they say scriptures, they believe in the Book of Mormon, the Pearl of Great Price, uh, the Doctrines and Covenants, and the King James Bible. And the prophet, right? Yes, but the King correct. James Bible—it's—it's it's definitely the lowest of their four texts that they agree are scripture, and they believe it as long as you correctly translate. Yeah, and what and and so so they distrust it a lot because the church corrupted it, as this passage says that yeah, the church course. corrupted that abominable church, which would be us, you know, in in history. We changed the Bible, so that's their claim. Yes, transmission, translation, messed it up but also it was intentionally changed by the abominable church. Exactly. Like someone went in, the church, yeah. in the church, and changed everything. Well, and a lot of times you'll hear people uh, say, and even atheists, not informed atheists, but um, like the Dan Browns of this world who write the Da Vinci Code and things like that, um, and Mormons, they'll say that, that the church changed the Bible at the Council of Nicaea. 
Yeah, right? I've heard that argument before. People love saying that. Constantine changed it at the Council of Nicaea. The, the funny thing is, if you go back and you read the historical documents from the Council of Nicaea, uh, that church council wasn't about the canon of Scripture or yeah. about the New Testament. It, it was about Jesus' deity. Yeah, it wasn't at all. <laughs> and, that's, yeah. like, and we have so much evidence of this because they were writing down their arguments, and yeah. we, we can see exactly what they were talking about. Yeah, it's a yeah. myth that people think it was the Council of Nicaea that decided what would be in the Bible. No, uh, there's that's no truth in that and we have lists prior to it anyway yeah but that's a common thing out there but so okay so we have atheists who say this whole transmission thing telephone game you can't trust it right mormons say it was intentionally changed by the evil church and transmission you can't trust it well let's talk about what muslims say yes. about it all right so here we go one of the most common objections Muslims make against Christianity is that the Bible, specifically the Gospels, have been corrupted and they cannot be trusted. So we want to do something fun. We want to look at what the Quran says about the Gospel. Yeah. Okay? So I want to read to you a, a verse out of the Quran, which is from Surah 3, verses 3 through 4. It says, He has sent down upon you, O Muhammad, the book in truth, confirming what was before it. And he revealed the Torah and the gospel before as a guidance for the people. And he revealed the Quran. Indeed, those who disbelieve in the verses of Allah will have a severe punishment, and Allah is exalted in might, the owner of retribution. Okay, so because of this passage, which says that Allah gave the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, and he gave the Injil, or the gospel, right, he gave these things um, that Muslims will not say that the Gospels, the New Testament, isn't Scripture. Right. Right. But what they do say is that it, it was messed up and it hasn't been translated correctly, that there have been corruptions given in it. But they can't say it's not from God because the Quran itself says it's from God. Yeah, so in a way, that's that's pretty similar to the Mormon approach to it. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the issue with both of them is that they recognize there's contradictions between what their book says and what the Bible says. That's absolutely right. Now, the Mormon yeah. has those verses you read that tell them specifically it was corrupted. The Muslims don't have a verse in the Quran that says the Bible, the Gospels especially, was corrupted. In no. fact, the, the Quran specifically says that the Gospels are good. They and, do, And they're, yeah. they're true. So the problem for the Muslim is that the Quran even affirms the inspiration of the Torah and the Gospels, but it also affirms the preservation and authority of the Gospels and the Torah. Yes. This is a big problem for them because if I want to believe in what the Quran says, I should believe that the Gospel and the Torah are good sources. Yeah, I would say so. Right? Now, they may object and say, listen, at the time this was written, they were good sources, but since then they've become corrupted. That's that's the... That, okay. that comes to be the answer that most Muslims give to that And argument. that's the only yeah. way you can justify, the Quran says they're good, but you're telling me I shouldn't believe them because they're corrupted. Mm -hmm. Well, they got corrupted after. Okay, well, let, we're going to look into that, but if the, the Quran is the eternal word of God and it says they're good, and it says they're from Allah. And it can't be changed. It seems which, pretty bizarre, yeah, yeah that, that we would do this. So um, originally the Gospel and Torah, according to Muslims, are good, but they would say too that Christians change them. So there's a few... A few people, a few culprits, they say change them. Some believe that Paul came along and messed it all up. 
Uh, and then others will say the Council of Nicaea, which again is a common myth that if you go back and look at the documents, that's not what they were talking about. But that is the common uh, Muslim objections. Right. And so, yeah, you get that a lot. And then I, I want to read a, a passage. This is a Muslim passage from the Quran. This is in uh, Surah 7157. Okay. Uh, it says, Those who follow the messenger, the unlettered prophet, whom they find written in what they have of the Torah and the gospel, who enjoins upon them what is right and forbids them what is wrong and makes lawful for them the good things and prohibits for them the evil and relieves them for their bur of their burden and the shackles which are upon them. So they who had believed in him, honored him, supported him, and followed the light which was sent down with him. It is those who will be successful. Mm -hmm. Now what's interesting is if you notice these verses, or this verse is saying that those who follow the Torah and the gospel will be successful. Mm -hmm. That's what it's talking about in this yep. passage. And so uh, at times uh, when, according to this, the gospel, when it was written, is considered a good source. When, when yeah. at the time when they wrote this, when this passage was written down, they were claiming that the gospel and the Torah were good sources, and and that those who follow them will be successful. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And th what's crazy, Robbie, and what's absolutely nuts about this? This passage was written in the seventh century. Well, yeah, because Muhammad, right, is early six six hundreds, seventh century. Yes, and and he starts to get the Quran in the early six hundreds, the early seventh century, exactly. right? So we know yeah. when this came down, and so if at the time uh, that he got this, you have to think that Muhammad believed the Gospel and the New Testament were good sources that yeah. people could follow and be successful. Yeah, and so with, with that as the foundation, it's interesting because we see that this was written in the 7th century. Mm -hmm. And what's crazy about that time period is we have ancient copies of the Bible text prior to the 7th century, which we've been talking about for the past several weeks. Yeah, the past couple of weekends, yeah, the past couple of shows we've talked about, the you know, Codex Sinaiticus yeah. from the 4th century, Codex Vaticanus is from the 4th century, and they're basically complete New Testaments. Yeah, and that's the thing. And what's interesting about it and we've said this already in prior episodes, but we, we've taken what we've learned from those passages that predate the 7th century, and we've compared it with what we have today, and our Bible that we have today is exactly mm -hmm. what we what they had back then before the 7th century. Yeah, there's no corruption. No corruption. So, so that's the thing is, if it was good at the time Muhammad wrote this, or got, got this revealed to him— yeah. And we have texts from that time and from before that time. <laughs> we would be able to see who or when it got changed. Yeah. However, exactly. we, we don't see that because it wasn't changed. Yeah. And what's crazy about this is even if they were corrupted, the Quran actually claims that they can't be. And if yeah. you want to shed some <laughs> yeah. light on that. So that gets really yeah. interesting. I want to read to you a couple of verses from the Quran. So Surah 6, 115 says, And the word of your Lord has been fulfilled in truth and in justice. None can alter his words, and he is the hearing and the knowing. Yeah. So none can alter the words of Allah. We read a verse earlier that talked about how the gospel and the Torah are from Allah. They're his words. Well, I, I thought none can alter them. Uh, Surah 1827 says, And recite, O Muhammad, what's been revealed to you of the book of your Lord. There is no changer of his words, and never will you find in, in another uh, in other than him, a refuge. Yeah. So no changer of his words. No one can ever alter his words. And the Muslim claim is that the church or Paul altered the words of Allah. So who do I believe? Do I believe what Muhammad said in the Quran? Or do I believe the Muslim who tells me that the New Testament got changed? 
It's it's you're stuck you're stuck between a rock yeah. and a hard place with that. And then if they say, well, it got corrupt, it was okay, it was legit at the time Muhammad wrote this, but it got corrupted later. No, it hasn't. Yeah, exactly. Because we have all these manuscripts prior to that, at that time and after. And we can show that it hasn't been altered. It hasn't been corrupted. Yeah, there haven't been added all these things like mm-hmm. Jesus dying on a cross and resurrecting. That was there way, way, way back in the old manuscripts. Yeah, there, like, there's not no added. evidence that any of the scriptures were changed at that point from no. what we have now from prior to the 7th century. Yep, and that's yeah. why we use Codex Sinaiticus and why we use Codex Vaticanus. When we're translating new versions, we go back to the best Greek Right. Yeah. And the best yeah. assimilation of all the Greek manuscripts, and we translate. So yeah, and that's how our modern Bibles are today. Yep. That's what we do. So so we got the atheists claiming this. We've got the Mormon claiming this. We've got the Muslim claiming this, and they all have a little different flavor and different nuances. But the basic idea is, it got corrupted, and what you have today is not what God wanted you to have, or is not what the original said. Right. Yeah. So the question we've got to come to is, okay, why do we believe that we do have an accurate transmission of the Bible? And there's a difference between translation and transmission, right? Translation means I translate from Greek to English or from Chinese to Spanish. I translate from one language to another. Mm -hmm. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about transmission, passed down. How do we know that the text has accurately been passed down from copy to copy, generation to generation? That's that's what we're after, not translation necessarily. Yeah, exactly. And And so those two things get mixed mixed up a little bit. Yeah, and that's an important distinction to make. So So how do we know, Tyler, that we have an accurate transmission of the Bible. What are some evidences? Yeah, well, one of the biggest evidences for this is I'm going to start with the Old Testament manuscripts. I okay. think we're just going to go in order here. Uh, one of the biggest pieces of that evidence that we have that's tangible are the Dead Sea Scrolls. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the Dead Sea Scrolls are this huge, huge collection of Old Testament texts that we got mm-hmm. that date sometime between 250 BC and 70 AD. That's yep. where that's the range of all the dates of these scrolls. Yep. Uh, now these include every single book of the Old Testament except for Esther was found within the Dead Sea Scrolls. That's yep. why it's so and a whole huge. bunch. There's a whole bunch of other books too. Oh, of course, they're not books. They're yeah, scrolls, it's it's but... not all scripture that no. was in the Dead Sea Scrolls, but we have. Every Old Testament book except for Esther accounted for within the Dead, within sea, the Scrolls. Dead sea Scrolls. Yep, exactly. And so, and again, the dating of that is roughly between 70 AD and um, 250 BC. Yeah. So that's the time gap that we. That's have. the time out there that these scrolls were written. Not, like not, and again, not like they were written and we have copies of them. No, these this is, these yeah. scrolls, the original date, handwritten, the the, lat- the latest one comes from 70 AD. The earliest one comes from 250 BC, and all everything in between there. So a lot of these scrolls predate Jesus' birth. Yeah, exactly. Which is really interesting. They do. And you can hold that in your hand today. I know. It's, an it's artifact fantastic. that's older than the birth of Christ. It's, yeah. it's amazing. And, and honestly, one of the biggest things to compare with the Dead Sea Scrolls are these Hebrew manuscripts. Like When we take the Hebrew text that we use today mm-hmm. to translate the Bible into other languages from the Old Testament, we, we were able to compare when we looked at the Dead Sea Scrolls and, with the Hebrew that we were using, mm-hmm. and it turned out that we were accurate. And yeah, it was spot on. And so like, there's no difference in that. And what's another big ticket item that we got out of the Dead Sea Scrolls that I think is just huge. And like you were saying, Robbie, it's huge, too, because we are hold, we can hold this in your hands today. Like it's yeah. physically. I mean, if uh, they'd let you, they probably well, yeah, yeah. let you. Hold they would it, never but, let yeah. you. But <laughs> it, it predates Jesus. Like, and that's tangible evidence of something that was here 
and that's still here that was created prior to Jesus, yep. we have found in the Dead Sea Scrolls the Great Isaiah Scroll. Mm-hmm. And now the Great Isaiah Scroll, what's fascinating about that, it's dated, and the, the liberal dating of this is around 150 to 100 BC. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty early on because that's prior to Jesus Jesus it's at least a hundred years before Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The liberal dating puts it at least a hundred years before Jesus. Yeah, or like ninety-two if you depend. Sure. You know, yeah, but, but yeah, was, about a hundred years. Yeah, so. about a hundred years. And so, what's crazy about that is the Book of Isaiah. For those of you who have read it, um, what's really interesting is in there. There's tons of messianic prophecies mm-hmm. that talk about the person of the Messiah and Jesus and who he was going to be and what he was going to accomplish. Yeah. And it's clear as day all throughout the book and we compared and we could see that we have that original text that we gathered from the Dead Sea Scroll, mm-hmm. which again was produced in 100 from around the time of 100 to 150 BC, mm-hmm. which that's just phenomenal piece of evidence. Yeah, and the big the big point with that yeah. is so the prophecies are that you know the virgin birth, that he'll yeah, be buried yeah. in a rich man's tomb, all this stuff. But um the really interesting thing for for the discussion of transmission is that we yes. didn't find the Dead Sea Scrolls. I think it was the 1940s when they were discovered. Yeah, that's right. So so you're talking about um a a, a scroll that has been hidden from humanity for probably you know, 70, so probably about 18 and a half to 1900 years. Yeah. And we took the Isaiah scroll and these other manuscripts in Hebrew and we compared them with the Hebrew text we have, even though we haven't had these ones. That's right. And they're accurate. What we've been, what we've been transmitting for the last 1900 years, it says the same thing that the Dead Sea Scrolls say. Yes. There's a few little variants, but nothing significant. So it's not like if there mm-hmm. was a major change, if after the time of the apostles, or if Paul, or if the Council of Nicaea, or after the time of Muhammad, yeah. if there was a change to the text, we'd be able to know it because we have these texts that precede all of that exactly, stuff. Exactly, exactly. And there's no change. In fact, they're all completely accurate with what we have. Yeah, and that's... The really cool thing about these scrolls is that we can see that the based on whatever variants there were, they were minuscule to the point to where we can honestly say with full confidence that we have the accurate text today that they had back then. Yep. Yeah. It is. So, it's amazing. So within the Old Testament, we have that um, we have that evidence for us. Yeah. Which means what? The yeah. atheist, the Muslim, and the the Mormon are all just factually yes. wrong. They are. It, it's not are. even like a faith statement. This is just an evidence statement. No, nope. yeah, it's like here's the, here's the manuscripts, and here's yeah. what we have today, and there hasn't been corruption or change or mm-hmm. the telephone game. Yeah, right? and it's crazy. And so also with that, um, what's crazy about this is we also see that the Old Testament was translated into Greek prior to Jesus. Yes, yeah, the, yeah. The, yeah, the Septuagint, right? It was probably, I think it was like 100 years before Jesus, they, the Jews yeah. translated the Old Testament into Greek because a lot of people weren't reading Hebrew. Yeah, exactly. So they needed it in Greek so people could read it. Yeah, yeah so we, we, that's another piece of evidence that we have mm. that, that that was accurate. And then we see no evidence of corruption throughout it. And, and like, in fact, it's a complete opposite. Like we see every little detail between all those manuscripts that we have are accurate with the transmission of the text that we use from the Old Testament to what we have today. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And so, so they'd have to change phenomenal. the Septuagint and the Hebrew text in the exact same spot so perfectly that we couldn't notice that it was changed. That, that is just It's an impossibility. You can't do that. And so yeah. it, that's, I think you hit the nail on the head, Robbie, when you're saying this is like just a factual statement to say yeah. they're wrong. 
It's not a faith-based statement. I, it's just it's here's here's the here's the manuscript. Yeah, here's yeah. What they look, say. And look, that's the thing. When someone comes to you and they say that the Bible is corrupt and we don't have what the original text said, it's just factually incorrect. Yep. There's no evidence for that whatsoever. In fact, there's overwhelming evidence for the counterargument saying that we do have accurate text. Yeah, that's absolutely so right, yeah, man. That's that's the point that we're trying to make here with this whole series. Yep. Is that the Bible is accurate. And the fact that we see the variants, like we talked about, or the verses we know weren't original, like yeah. we talked about last week, helps us to know what is. Like that's that's, does, the, yeah. that's the flip side of that coin. Is we so we therefore we do know what was original. Therefore, we do know what God said. And through even studying these ancient manuscripts, we can see that we have transmitted it very, very accurately. Yes, which is awesome. Right. So, well, let's move to the New Testament manuscripts. Right. So this is a cool argument. Um, before all of the apostles died. Which means the the people who wrote scripture, right? Um, and and the, the Mormon argument is that after the time of the apostles, the church corrupted the text. Yeah, that's right. Well, prior to the apostles all dying, there was a huge catastrophic event that happened in Israel in 70 AD. This was the destruction of the temple, the destruction of Jerusalem, which led to the great diaspora of the Jews. Diaspora, dispersion, or, you know, um, they were persecuted, so they all fled from Israel. Yes. This is when the Jews right. left Israel, and they didn't go back until the 1940s when we gave them the land back. Yeah, that's so right. This is a huge deal. This is before the death of uh, the apostles, because John didn't write the gospel or Revelation until the 90s, and this happened in 70 AD. All right? Right. So, before the time of the apostles' death, of all of them dying, the great diaspora happened. The Jews fled from Jerusalem. So what does that mean for us? Well, when people fled, they took important things with them, right? Yeah. Like treasured possessions were taken with them when they fled. There were three main areas that people fled to. They would go um, uh, north uh, up to Europe. They would go uh, north up to Turkey, modern-day Turkey, or they'd go south, what would it be? It'd be southwest into Egypt and then into Ethiopia. That's mm -hmm. where many of the Jews fled to, all right? Now, a lot of these Jews, not all of them, but there were a lot of Christians in the area because Christianity was growing, and so Christians also fled from Jerusalem. And what the Christians did is they took important uh, possessions with them, which would include yeah. New Testament writings, that's right. Makes sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. So this is really cool. God used this event in order to preserve his word, and here's how. The Christians fled. They went to all these different parts of the world, taking with them a whole bunch of different New, manu uh, New Testament manuscripts. We possibly might have some of those copies today, yeah. but we probably have copies of their copies at least, right? That's right. And so we can go back and we can look, and like we talked about a, a few weeks ago, we can compare and contrast all of these Greek New Testament manuscripts and the copies, see where the errors were made, see what the original said, all of that kind of stuff through the science of text criticism, and we can come up with an accurate text. Yeah. So the New Testament manuscripts are scattered all over the Roman Empire uh, after the events of 70 AD, which is prior to the death of the apostles. So what we would have to believe for the Mormons and the Muslims to be right is that after this great dispersion of Christians and Jews across yeah. the world and this great dispersion of the New Testament manuscripts, someone or something would have to go around the world 
collecting all of the New Testament from wherever they travel to, which from, is impossible <laughs> to really track. Yeah, but so so somebody had to go travel all around, or some group, right? Yeah. Let's say as a group because that makes more sense. Had to travel all around, gather all the scattered manuscripts, and change them all and corrupt them in the same exact spot. So much so that we can't detect the change. Yeah. Right? That's what you have to believe happened. And they didn't leave one manuscript uh, original because that we'd found, right? They had That's to change right. them all completely and perfectly. Well, first of all, how could somebody or some group do that? They can't. They can't, it's right? Not, it's not possible. So there's two things that you'd have to believe in order for this to happen. In order to believe that the New Testament was corrupted after the time of the apostles, you'd have to believe that a person or group could travel the world, collect all the manuscripts, change them. I do not think that's possible, right? Also, wouldn't the Christians who fled, who took with them these New Testament manuscripts, wouldn't they claim that someone was trying to change them? Like, wouldn't they put up a fight if this yeah. was going to happen? Like, Christians were dying for their faith at this yeah, point Yeah, you would time, imagine, right? too, that some evidence that this was happening would have come out. Exactly. Yeah. If, if Christians are willing to die for their faith, am I expected to believe that they wouldn't put up a fight if some group or someone was going around trying to change their personal New Testament text? Yeah. This makes no sense. And not only that, you got to also think, like, if someone realistically mm -hmm. came in and attacked a person and, like, by force changed their text, yeah. and then they just left or whatever, what's to stop them from just going and changing it back to what it originally said? Yeah, or what's, you know this, what I'm saying? what's to stop them from saying, this is a corrupted text now, we're going to burn it. Yeah, we, or we doing don't something that. like that yeah. to get rid of it. If there was this great corruption of the New Testament, we would find evidence for it, it's but like, we don't. Yeah, and to them, they didn't understand, obviously, like the severity of the repercussions, what could would have happened in the future if we lost that text. Yep. But think about it for, for yourself, is if someone went to your house and tried to take your Bible off the shelf, and they went ahead and they just crossed out all the verses they didn't like, and then rewrote some, Yeah. right? And then they said, okay, I'm going to leave that. And then that's that's the truth. That is the word of God now. Yep. And then they just left. Would well, you see, keep that and then tell people, oh, the, yeah, this is the truth. You, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, but you, see, that couldn't work, Tyler, because, like, think about this. Yeah. If we had manuscripts that were scratched out and then crazy different passages yeah. were thrown in, we would be able to see, oh, this got added later. You could— So we, you could we don't have— we, So we don't even have that kind of evidence for a corruption no. like that because we would see that. So what we'd actually have to believe is that um, people went and collected all the manuscripts— and destroyed them, yeah. and then wrote new ones with corruption, so we couldn't yes. detect where the corruption and, happened. And do you have any idea how much time that would take? It couldn't happen. It can't. The other thing is this. If this did happen, let's just say some group could collect all of them and change them without detection. If it did happen, we couldn't know it happened from evidence because we would have a skewed text that didn't show a change. Now yeah. think about that. So... This, I think this is fascinating. So the Mormon and the Muslim are both taking their stance purely on faith. Yeah. In the face of all evidence because they have zero evidence to be able to show where this great corruption changed. It's actually the contrary. We have evidence to show how it's been transmitted accurately yeah. through the Dead Sea Scrolls, through the New Testament manuscripts, and they are lacking any evidence to show where the change occurred, especially the Muslim, because at the time the Quran was written, we have books of the complete New Testament yeah. prior to—we have translations in different languages by that point. They have no leg to stand on. Their position is a completely f blind faith position 
ours is based on evidence and fact. So yeah. it's, it's literally, it, it's not a, oh, my opinion, your opinion. It's a factual, here's the manuscripts, here's what they say, we've transmitted them correctly yeah. for the past 2,000 years. Exactly. Like, the, the Bible was not transmitted through the telephone game, right? No. Like, this wasn't just passed on text after text and going no. through. Like, we've talked about that. The, um, when we translate the Bible... Uh, we go to the best original languages, the Greek and the Hebrew, yep. and we convert it directly from those documents into the language that we're trying to translate it to. Yeah, well, so like right now in in history where we're at, so we've done text criticism for uh, 100 over maybe 200 years now. Yeah. We've collected all these Greek manuscripts. We synthesize. We go through all the rules to figure out what was the original reading, what wasn't. Again, the scientific percentage, this isn't hyperbole, and this isn't yes. opinion. This, this is, is spot science. on. 99% accuracy of what the original said, we have yeah. it. And last week we talked about one place where we don't know. It's one of the 1% verses, yeah, right? right? In Mark yeah, yeah. 1, 1. But we have 99% accuracy of what the original New Testament said. So we take that. Yeah. It's, the, it's called right now the synthesized version of the best Greek. You can buy it. You can buy the Greek New Testament. It's called the Nesselalond. It's the 27th yes. edition, right? Because when we find new manuscripts, they update it. Yeah, that's <laughs> because right. Because we want to be accurate. So yeah. you can buy that now. They take this superior Greek text of the New Testament. We do something similar with the Hebrew. And we, like you said, we translate it from the original languages. Yes. To English. Exactly. From the original to Mandarin, from the original to Spanish, to whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's what's interesting. And so if we did translation from Greek to, uh, like, to Armenian, to Latin, French, whatever it is, uh, to like to these languages, I'm pretty sure that we would lose all that in translation. Yeah, if, it if would, it's what would happen. Yeah, if so, English was like the ninth language it came through. Yeah, so right? so their argument makes sense if it actually happened. Yes. But that's the case. It didn't. There's there's <laughs> no evidence that that happened with the text that we have. Yeah, nobody's ever done Bible translation like that. Like we, no, no, we, we didn't take the Greek and put it into Latin, and then take the Latin and put it into Coptic, and then take the Coptic and put it into uh, no, French, and then yeah. French to English. And, well, the thing lose. is, that's the rumor that spread around. Yeah. And of course, if I didn't know all of this, and that's what I've been told, or yeah. like growing up and just took that. I would understand the logic behind that. Because the thing is, is you think about it, if it's going from all these different languages, yeah, it's going to get diluted down. Yeah. But the fact is, there's no evidence that that ever happened. In fact, we don't like, do that. We keep talking about this. I, I know we're going to sound like a broken record at this point, but, but there's so much evidence of what we have today is the accurate biblical text yeah. from what we had hundreds of years well, ago. And just a couple examples. So like the Latin Vulgate was written by Jerome. In the 400s. Mm -hmm. Okay, so he knew Greek, and he got Greek manuscripts and then translated Greek into Latin. Yeah. Then he moved to Bethlehem and learned Hebrew and got the Hebrew text and translated to Latin. So that's original language yes. translated once when the King James Version was written. Um, in, in the cover of the King James, it tells you how they did it. They said yeah. they went to the original languages— the original tongues of the writings and translated them into English. And they did. They used Erasmus's Greek New Testament. What was this? This was him synthesizing all the Greek manuscripts they had into here's what the New Testament said. And they translated the Greek New Testament into English. Not yeah, that's from Latin right. and Coptic and Syriac and through a filter of nine languages. Yeah, right. No, we've never, that's a stupid way to do anything. No. Nobody does that. We've always translated it from the original. 
into the new language. So, the, yeah, yes, you're right. The, the, absolutely right. The telephone game analogy is, is ridiculous. Now, another thing about the telephone game, Tyler, is the kid's game that's played yeah. is silly and it's fun, but the whole point of the game is to mess it up and see how funny it is. Yeah. That's not analogous to people who believe this is God's word and yeah. they want to preserve it. Like, and I'm going to be really careful not to mess it up. You got to think about that. It's not the same thing. Yeah, people. People, when you play telephone, you're not like like hinging on every word being correct. <laughs> no, you know what I mean to that extent. Nope. It's like no, no, no. That's not how it works. And so that's what's so important to know about the way we, that we do transmission of the biblical text yep. is that it was pe done by people who cared about it and it was done accurately. Yep. And a lot yeah. of times like scribes, actually there were rules at different times for the scribes. Like yeah. they'd have to count the words in a certain book yeah, and make sure the right. middle word was this word because then that would show they accurately transmitted it. And then if they messed up a certain amount of times, they'd have to burn the whole thing and start over. Yes. Completely burn it, destroy it. Cause Which, you can't have anything left over. And this would take years to yeah. write a book of the Bible to copy. So like the, the, it, it would just take so long. So, so much resources. So yeah. could you imagine getting through it and it took you like nine months and you have to burn the whole thing? Yeah. You're telling me these guys weren't extremely careful with what they were doing. Well, and what Come that on. did too, if Come they're on. having to go ahead, like you said, Robbie, and m m work on all this for months or even years at a time and then burn it all and then start over again, yeah. the next time that they do it, they're going to be even more accurate than the last time because they memorized it all at that exactly. point. Yeah, yeah and exactly. so every time that they're doing that and resetting it, they're increasing the accuracy. Yep, they're getting better. So yes. again, the big point for today is when people say you can't trust the New Testament because it was corrupted mm -hmm. or because it's been through so many different language translations, factually wrong. Yeah. They do not know what they're talking about. And they're either giving you an analogy about a telephone game and they've never looked into how we do Bible transmission or they're taking the words of their prophet on faith, not looking at the evidence. Right. Now, what's crazy is if we apply this kind of an argument to the Quran, the Quran completely fails. Yeah, because there was a time right. that they burned all of the manuscripts. And Muhammad's favorite wife talks about missing manuscripts. Yeah. Muhammad's four right-hand men talk about uh, missing Quran in the authorized version. So you've got a problem there where we didn't burn them all. We actually can go yeah. back to, to before Christ and look and see if we've been accurate. Yeah. And then, and then you can go ahead too and even apply that to Mormonism. Like mm -hmm. I, I actually, I've investigated very deeply into this and the Book of Mormon actually has over something around, roughly around like 3,000 different changes yeah. that it went through. And those weren't just simple variants. Like there were names of but, historical figures that were changed. Yeah. There were, I mean, we've done podcasts on that in the past and you can go look at that up if yeah. you want more on that. But Mormons but, can't even have variants, Tyler. No, well, they can't. Yeah, you're right. Because there's not like all these old ancient manuscripts of the Book of Mormon. The first time the Book right. of Mormon ever shows up in history is when Joseph Smith wrote it in the 1800s. And yes. what language was it written in? It was written in English. So why are they changing the English to different English words if it's already in English? Oh, there's just a like you. And can't that's what do I meant when I said the books. the yeah. changes. They were done from what Joseph Smith originally wrote down in the 1800s. They've made roughly like over 3,000 changes, and that number yeah. might have changed since. Then yeah, because I think it's, been it's even so more than that now. Yeah, yeah. and like that. That's what's insane about this. And so and. There's just no ground for accuracy with that. And then same thing with atheists. What's interesting is it's like the claims that they're getting are from all sorts of like philosophers or mm -hmm. people who say that they're scientists who come up with different theories that contradict each other. Yep. And then it just, it goes back and forth. And you have to think about it as like, okay, 
what do you have more faith to believe in and trust in? Yeah. And what, what's more accurate? What's been around longer? Yep. You have to take all of these things into account. And so far, yeah. I think the argument we've been presenting is that the biblical text holds its ground with that accuracy. I think so, yeah. Do I want to believe in stories that atheists say that aren't factually yeah. true? Do I want to believe in faith-based positions based on what Joseph Smith said? Or not even what Muhammad said, but what Muslims say. Because Muhammad's word yeah. in the Quran is that the gospel's legit. And That's we true. That, it. that is what Muhammad said. <laughs> so which is so they're telling me not to listen to Muhammad, and which I is nuts. I can't get past that either because there's yeah. so many passages in the Quran that say do not change the words of Allah. Or yeah. what, and what Muhammad said was the word of Allah. Yeah. So so, so they're, they're by saying that the Gospels were corrupted are telling you to disagree with the Quran, which is the eternal word of God. Yeah, exactly. So, it so, just it doesn't work. Yeah. So anyway, one thing that we want to end with today is talking about an issue. And here's the technical term. It's called obsissima vox or obsissima verba. And it's this right. Latin phrase, and it means, okay, in the New Testament, the argument goes— what, what do we have of the New Testament, especially in regards to the words of Jesus? Yes. Do we have Jesus verbatim, right, Ver, verba, his verbatim words, or do we have the vox, which means the voice or the gist or the message right. of Christ? And, right? and Yeah, and this is a legitimate argument even for Christians. Like, we need to know this. We yeah. need to know this because th- we need to know what God intended his word to be. And th- yeah. this is a big yeah. deal. So— uh, the Muslim will believe that the Quran is the very, meaning verba, right? It's the very words of Allah, and that's why you have to read it in Arabic. Yes. And if you don't read it in Arabic, you're not reading Quran. You're reading something else, right? Yeah. So th- that's what they claim because they believe they're the very words of God. Yeah, exactly. When we talk about it being God's word, what do we mean, and what did God intend it to mean? So— when you get into obsissima vox versus obsissima verba, we want to kind of give you the arguments for both. So the idea that it's vox or the voice or the gist, the message of God in the Bible, um, an argument for it is this, especially when it comes to Jesus' words. Like we know Jesus spoke Aramaic. Yes, that's right. And there's a few passages in Mark where he says Jesus said this and then he writes it in Aramaic. And then he explains to you what the phrase means in Greek. Yes. Yeah, so he wanted you to know the exact verbiage at yes. that point. And there's yeah. a couple places in Mark where he says that, right? Jesus said, Talitha kum, which means little girl arise, right? Like th- yeah. those, you have those kinds of passages. But we only have a couple of those. The majority of the words of Christ are written down in Greek. Yes. But we know Jesus was speaking Aramaic. So, so here, here's the interesting thing. The New Testament gospel, by and large, is already a translation of the words of Christ because it was written in Greek. Yes. Which means God didn't intend for us to have the exact verbiage of Jesus. Right. But he wanted us to have the message of Jesus. That's absolutely correct. So that that's, yeah. a, that's a big deal. Um, we also know we don't have the verbatim words of Jesus because Jesus spent hours teaching, but most of his speeches can be read within a few minutes. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> right? It's crazy. You, you think of all of his parables and everything too, like, like that's not word for word. They, yep. They're explained yep. of what Jesus had actually said. Yep. It's yeah. the message. It's the, it's the gist. The other thing is, is when you compare, especially the, some of the synoptics, they don't agree verbatim, word for word, even in Greek. Yeah. But that wasn't what was intended. The intention was, I want people to understand the message of 
the gospel. I want people to understand the message of Jesus. Yes, yes. And the important thing to understand about this is it's still crucially important that we get the the Greek manuscripts accurate for what they said because we still because while while it's not the exact verbiage it the the text of the greek manuscripts contains the exact message yes that was intended to hear that was inspired by god that was inspired for us to understand sure and so we need to make make sure that that that's accurate Yep. Yeah. So we're not saying we don't have what God said or what Jesus said. We do. But right. You have to understand if he was speaking Aramaic and they translated it into Greek, it's already a translation. Therefore, yeah. it's not the exact yeah. verbiage because it's not Aramaic. But but we right? can still trust what Jesus said because it, it's not just coming from one source, exactly. which we've talked about that before. And like there's there's lots of credibility to the message that was behind Jesus. Yeah. And so yeah. now let's let's talk about arguments for it being the the very words, right? Yes, Against right. it being the voice, but it being the verba. So so some people will get leery about this because they'll say, listen, that opens the door for doubt about the doctrines of inerrancy and the sufficiency of scripture and the clarity of scripture. It might open the door that challenges what you thought inerrancy was. Yeah. But we have to be clear with what we're talking about. We, we can't make up our own doctrines that make us feel comfortable. No. And I believe in inerrancy. And I believe in infallibility, yes. and I believe in in these in these doctrines as long as we're explaining them correctly. Yeah, right? and we have yeah. the inerrant word of God in the original manuscripts. Yes, we yes. know there's been mistakes made. My Bible has a long ending of Mark in it that's not original. So can I say this book I have is the perfect word? Well, it contains the perfect word of God. Yeah, but then there's some weird mistakes also, and not to mention yeah. it's not in Greek; it's in English. What is it? It's the message that God intended for us to have. It's the perfect message of God. And so, yeah. so we have to understand what inerrancy is and what it isn't. And I think sometimes, when when it's taught, and, and this is on pastors and this is on apologists, like we have to be clear of what we mean with it. Yes, the gospels are already a translation of the words Jesus spoke. That's absolutely true. Right. So that that that's a big deal. Um, some people think, well, this questions the ability of the Holy Spirit to enable the gospel writers to recall the words of Jesus. No, it doesn't. Because if they recalled the words he spoke in Aramaic, they're still translating them yeah. into a different language. Yeah. And in Greek, there's like eight different ways to say the words, Jesus loves you. Yeah, that's there's true. There's eight different ways to communicate that message in Greek verbiage. And so you, you we... We just ha- we have to understand what's going on here, and this is the yes. thing. Maybe your understanding of what God's word is is changing, but that doesn't mean what God's word is is changing. That's yes, that's absolutely right, and that's a big deal. So, what did God intend His word to be? God, and this this is what I think is so beautiful about the Bible versus the Quran. Mm. God always intended His message to be translated into different languages because right off the bat. It was a translation. Yes. Which means that's right. we're supposed to take the Greek text, the message, and we're supposed to take that and translate it into English so that people who speak English can understand the message of God. Yeah. And we're supposed to take it and translate it into Rwandan so that Rwandans can understand the message of God and into Mandarin so that people who speak Mandarin can understand the word of God. We're supposed to do this. Yes. The Bible was never meant to be the Quran where you can only read it if it's in Aramaic. 
Yeah, because that's, that's what right. the, that's what the, the the Muslims believe only in Arabic, right? That's God, right. That's God right. never intended that. He wanted it to be translated because it's not just a message for a certain people group; it's a message for all people for all time in all languages. And this is what's beautiful about it: the message can be translated into different languages and still be the word and message of God. Yes, that's so true. That is what was intended. So, so again, we can't get caught up in, uh, well, we're going to defend the Bible as if it was the Quran. Stupid yeah. thing to do. It was never intended to be that, no, right? No, no. All of the, like, it's funny to think about, like, I'm reading it in English, which doesn't exactly, that's why pastors learn Greek, so they can explain it better, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, so we understand that there is a difference, but that doesn't mean that the message doesn't, come through yes so i think that that's a big deal for us to understand what was the intention of god in his word what was it meant to be and how mm. were we meant to use it to take the that's gospel so and to important. fulfill the great commission yeah so that that's a big deal so if you want to study that a little more dig into ipsissum of vox ipsissum of verba obviously we think vox and here's a little cool yeah. plug so there was this phenomenal um uh apologist named norman geisler yeah, yeah. Written hundreds of books on apologetics. He's like he's like the granddaddy of modern apologetics. Like everybody loves him. I mean, yeah, he, he trained right. Frank Turek. I know William Lane Craig actually took classes from Norm Geisler. I didn't know that. Yeah, no, wow. Geisler's yeah. like he's big time. His books are great. Um, hmm. I I saw him speaking at a conference um, in 2009. Uh, so that's yeah. a long time ago now. Yeah. He's now dead. He's with the Lord. Right. Right. Um, but I saw him at a conference and he spoke and I went up to him. I was, I was like gushing. I'm like, you're Norm Geisler. This is crazy. Yeah. But I asked him this question. I said, hey, I've been studying a seminary of System of Vox versus of System of Verba. What do you think it is? And he's like, of course it's Vox. It has to be the message. And I said, what's yeah. your argument? He's like, it was written in Greek, but he spoke Aramaic. That's all. That's what he said. He's like, it's obvious. Like you can't that's argue so, yeah. for for verba. It's not verba. And I'm like, yeah. Thank you, Norm Geisler. So you heard it here. Yeah. From the granddaddy of apologetics. <laughs> now that doesn't mean it's perfect. He yeah, that's wrong. Cool. But he thought it was an obvious yeah. truth that it's it's the message that God intended us to have. So yes. So so don't get caught up in in, in people arguing. Oh, it's been corrupted. Ask them to give you some proof or evidence. Because either they're just repeating a slogan or a story they've heard or they're taking it on faith because Joseph Smith said it in the Book of Mormon yes, or their right. imam says it but Muhammad didn't yeah. those, those are the only options so don't, so don't let people bully you with that we have the evidence that shows clearly the contrary the Bible has been preserved and it's been accurately transmitted mm. and what we have in our New Testament and in our Old Testament can be trusted as what God yes. wanted us to have because it's accurately transmitted yes that's so true it's 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 fun man yeah, it makes me I have confidence it. in God's word right yeah it's great and so thank you guys so much for being with us today on Christ Culture mm. and Coffee as always feel free to follow us on our social media platforms and send us any questions that you have about the podcast because um, we, we love to re reach out and interact with you guys Guys, um, hope that this podcast series has been encouraging to you. We're not mm -hmm. done yet. We're still going to uh, keep talking about uh, textual reliability of Scripture, yep. and we're super excited to keep go digging in deeper into this with you guys. Yeah. Uh, but again, uh, please make sure that you follow us on YouTube. If you're not already subscribed, please go ahead and do that. Uh, follow us on Twitter. We're on there now, and Instagram, Facebook. Uh, we're on everything. So please, we're make not sure on everything. I guess that's true. We're not on MySpace. TikTok. Yeah, I don't have a MySpace account anymore. Yeah, that's uh, all yeah, outdated. That's all What's that other thing? That new, that new thing that everyone's getting on. Like, I don't want Facebook anymore because Zuckerberg's crazy. I want to go on 
Yeah. There's like there's all these new platforms. I mean, well, that are yeah. There's tons of stuff. I mean, there's Reddit. They do like threads and stuff. No. I don't know. I can't get on. Tons that. of stuff. Yeah. yeah so is, we are not on everything, but we're on the important things. Well, what I will say is we are on everything <laughs> podcast wise. You can listen to yeah, us on true. any podcasting platform out there. So. If you don't like the platform you're listening on right now, feel free to switch it up. Switch it over. Change yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> and if you'd leave us a review on whatever you're listening on, we'd appreciate that. Yes, please. Uh, if, if you want to leave us a review on uh, Apple iTunes, that really helps us. It's not iTunes anymore. It's podcasts. Podcasts. Right? Apple Podcasts. Leave us a message on there, a review, um, because it helps us to get more notoriety so more people can hear these messages of the truth and uh, come to a clear understanding yes, of Christianity. Yes, So we'd really appreciate any reviews you could do for us. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. We'll see you guys next time. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Christ, Culture, and Coffee. If you liked this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to help us reach more people.